Hello, my name's Adam Hamdi, and you are watching The Crew Reviews. Johnny boy, look who's back on the show, Mr. Adam Hamdy, all the way from, I don't know, where are you, where are you at right now? I'm in Mauritius, um, which is a, for those who don't know, it's a small island off the east coast of Africa in the Indian Ocean. <sighs> Sounds horrible. You're all right, well, let's just get Africa. right to it then. <laughs> well, it's good to see you again, pal. You've got, uh, yeah. you've got some exciting stuff coming up here that we're going to talk about. Um and, and your your newest novel, The Other Side of Night. This is your first Atria release, the United States, I believe. Yep. And yep. Uh, it's a novel that is very difficult to talk about with not spoiling anything. So, what have you what have you come up with that you can talk about to and tell our viewers what this uh, the elevator pitch is in this story without spoiling it for us? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you very much for having me back. Yeah. I obviously didn't offend you badly enough the first time around, so I'm going to try again tonight. And you didn't learn your lesson with us, so here we are. No, <laughs> so you know I'm a sucker for punishment. So yeah, no, thank you, you very much. It's really it's really nice to be back. And, yeah, uh, looking to you guys. And um, yeah, the other side of night. It starts with a disgraced police officer, Harriet Kilty, who finds a message written in a book that she buys in a used bookstore, um, and the message says, "Help! He's trying to kill me." And um, she's got nothing else going on in her life and she um is a detective at heart it's all she's really ever known and she decides to kind of follow this thread and she finds out that the last woman to borrow the book from the library has died and that this uh, her name's beth asher and that her husband david asher has also died in suspicious slash mysterious circumstances mm -hmm. and when harry goes to um kind of find out more about the family and what's happened um she discovers that their son elliot has been placed in the care of a man called ben elmis and he was um somebody that she dated briefly a year previously hmm. and she thought he might be the love of her life and um he kind of ended the relationship in a really i believe the um nomenclature of our time is he ghosted her um yep. you know kind of like you know just just cut it cut it off cut that relationship off and so she's drawn into the investigation even more because she kind of wants to know why he did that and yeah. she's also concerned with protecting this child and um, this young boy who's been left with somebody that she thinks may be a murderer mm -hmm. and that's kind of the premise for the book and you're then drawn into this um uh, experience, I guess, is the only way to describe it. You kind of take that's on a, a journey. That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So that that's that's the setup. Yeah. This is one of the most, I would say for me, this is one of the most intricately plotted books that I've read in a long time. And we all know some famous authors who, you know, can pull off a pantser bestseller. But for the love of God, please tell me you outlined the living hell out of this manuscript before you started <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I've yeah. I mean, I, I outline all of my books, but this one in particular, I've been working on for five years. Oof. Um, and and it's not so much I didn't know what was going to happen in the story. It was the plotting. It was how to structure it, and it was also points of view. I was missing a few points of view that I needed inspiration to to find. And um, and so it's been a long time gestating, and you know, being put together and when i actually came to write it it was quite quick um i wrote it in the lockdown in 2020 and mm. over that sort of spring and summer um but i'd done so much preparatory work i'd written a you know probably two-thirds of a draft 50 60 000 words that i'd thrown away years ago a couple of screenplays short stories like i'd done a lot of work trying to get it into shape 
Um, and then with this version, I, I did outline it. You know, it's kind of one of the things that I've learned from writing with James Patterson is outline. So you have a roadmap. You may deviate and go, you know, take a scenic sure. route, but have a plot um, that's going to get you from point A to point B. Yeah, well, I feel better because there's no way you could pants this type of novel. <laughs> no way. I wouldn't even try. I wouldn't try. It's, yeah, it is. It's a. It is a structural. Um, yeah, it's quite an intricate structure, but it's. I think it's quite a simple read. Oh yeah. Well, you made it's the impossible look easy, which really pisses us off as writers. So thank you very much for that. Oh right. Okay. Thank you. I'll take that as praise. <laughs> well. Part of the intricate plotting included everything from book apps, book excerpts to court transcripts to, of course, the, the different points of view of the various characters. And you said it just a minute ago, but I actually felt the exact same way. This novel was a genuine experience, like few books I've ever read. Yeah. So yeah. I'm curious, did you experience it much the same way we did as readers? Did the story unfold in the same way in your head or, or, or did you sort of assemble each piece individually and then stitch it together? No, I, I experienced it as readers. I, I, again, it's something I've really learned from working with Jim. Um, you know, keep the reader front of mind at all times. Think about what it's like to experience your novel. Think about it from the reader's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was always thinking about, well, okay, I know what I want to achieve in, in story terms. What's the most interesting way? If I was reading this book, how do I want to experience it? What would be the most interesting way for me to, um, to read this book? And so I was constantly thinking about how do I present this in the way that's the most um, engaging and satisfying for the reader. And the other thing I was trying to do, and I don't know if I pulled this off or not, when I was a kid, you know, I'd go to the library a couple of times a week, get new books. And there was that wonder about reading, you know, there was that sense of, you know, even if you're not reading a magical book, the first time you read a Stephen King story, it's horrific and, yeah. you know, terrifying but it's a magical experience because yeah. you're just blown away by it all there's so much to take in and go on you know sort of you know have have fun with and i wanted to recreate that for adults i wanted to have an experience that people could just walk away and go wow what the hell did i just read there you know i that, you, you feel that it's something different um and part of that difference was was immersing you in it's a chronicle of somebody's life, you know, yeah. immersing you in that life. So you feel part of it. You feel their experiences, their journey. Um, so yeah, it was, it was reader front of mind, but also conscious that I wanted to give the reader some kind of different experience. And different Absolutely. it was, um, <laughs> <laughs> on page 13, um, you know, we, we, your main character, Harriet, um, Harry, um, she has this chance meeting in this conversation with this grieving widower, uh, just kind of out of the blue. He and he asks her, he kind of poses this question to her, what would you give for that just one more moment with somebody who meant everything to you that is no longer with us? And as a reader, I couldn't help but think how like this wasn't the first thought you ever had, like when I when I when you're writing this draft, like this might have been something that you had thought of before. Uh, you even started writing this book. So I guess the question is, is was this passage, you know, that kind of kicks off this book, something you'd thought about previously and kind of drove you to write uh, this type of novel, or was it just kind of a starting point that you kind of picked out of the, out of the blue? Um, I mean, I have thought about these, uh, you know, these things before, like most people, I've lost people who are close to me and you kind of, you miss them and you think about what, how nice it would be to have one more conversation or, yeah. you know, one more drink, a meal, whatever it is. Um, but the book was actually inspired by a question that our son asked me when he was eight. And uh, I can't you know, talk about what the question was, but I can say that it was rooted in a very common childhood fear around that age of, you know, what happens to your parents? You know, if, you, if your yeah. parents die, you know, there's that sense of your parents suddenly being mortal and, you know, what happens to you as a child if you're left alone? Yeah. And a lot of kids have that fear. And so he asked this quite profound question when he was eight. And we were out walking in the Peak District, which is where most of the book is set. And um, and I just thought, this is, there's a story in there. That's just a, such an incredible um, uh, emotional 
um, space to sort of explore as an author. And mm. I started sort of noodling away on it straight away. And uh, and so that's where the idea came from. But these, these, you know, that particular question, what would you give for one more moment? I think it's something that, you know, I have thought about before, but it's also quite a common question. You know, what yeah, would sure. you, how much would you love to see some of the people that are gone from your life? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really human, human experience for most everybody. Um, yeah. And of course, like taxpayers will often say nothing is free. <laughs> um, but because, you know, that question really has such a powerful emotion behind it. We always grasp at it and say, of course I would, but there is a cost to something like that, right? To make that come to fruition. So was the idea of that cost central to how you unraveled the story's mystery uh towards the end of the novel yeah i think you know you you we often don't think about the cost of our decisions and it's interesting i was talking to someone the other day and they sort of said well you know your books change the way i perceive the rest of my life you know and how i'm gonna spend <laughs> no wow. honestly yeah it was, it was quite an interesting thanks uh, yeah it was quite an interesting um conversation he sort of broke down a couple of times and was near mm. tears you know it was quite a, a profound uh, discussion yeah. that we had um but it it's you know we often don't think about the trade-offs that we make in life every single day you know sure. what they actually mean you know what what the consequences are going to be you know i mean at, a, at a, the most simple basic level you have people who smoke and they're not thinking about what's going to happen 15 20 30 years down the line and what that could lead to you know sure. you, you, we, we we make all kinds of decisions and we don't think about the price um and you know with something like this with something quite as profound as this you you have to pay a high price for it right well we find that out <laughs> that's all we can say yes um, cut so earlier earlier i talked about um that how we both talked about the plot construction how intricate it is but another thing i want to talk about was voice um i'm i was humbled truly humbled by your ability to create such distinctly different voices within the novel yeah. um writing it in the way you did was it difficult to swim back and forth between the different voices or did it so strongly flow from the characters that you almost did it subconsciously yeah i um i was talking to stephen james about this on the story blender and it was something he, he actually played a clip of something that i'd said a year ago just over a year ago which was that um I was on a journey, and this was right about the time I started writing this book. And I said, what you spend ages trying to do as an author is to try and discover your own voice. You try and mm -hmm. find your voice and, you know, kind of make it as as powerful as as you can. And, and you know, so just over a year ago, I said, um, no, it was longer than that. It must have been two years ago. And, um, but I'd said, I've got to the point where I want to try and lose my voice. As an author, I think you find your voice, you spend ages trying to find it, and then hmm. I think you try and lose it. Because the most powerful thing you could do is create a real experience for the reader. And the way you do that is to create realistic characters and character portrayals. And so with this, I really did try very hard to um, to make the characters shine through and to, to give them a voice and a unique perspective. And um, I didn't... I think because it was planned out and it was quite well structured in advance, it wasn't too difficult to switch between the two. And you have to kind of bear in mind, I'd been living with them in my head in one form or another for sort of five years. Wow. So I knew them. They were like real people. Um, so it was, um, and actually it's it, one of the things that I've learned from this book is the importance of point of view and how your point of view can really help you give clear delineation of character um, how you can maintain mystery without concealment, you know, in other right. words, you're not tricking or bamboozling the reader. You're, you're using point of view, a natural point of view to help build the mystery and sustain it for however long it, you know, naturally needs to be sustained. Yeah. That's actually a great point. Um, yeah. Well, and, and cut to your point, you know, I've, I've read some of your other work, black 13 sitting on my shelf here, signed copy, by the way. Um, <laughs> and um it, it, this was obviously a, a huge departure, not just in, in plot and story type, um, but it, it really, it was a different voice and different voices. Um, 
so I, I was really kind of thinking about that actual fact about your voice because I guess your voice is the fact that you're telling is just the uniqueness of telling a story that I haven't heard before in a way I hadn't heard. And that essentially is, is your personal voice in a, in a way, but it, it was, it was fascinating to me because I, I always analyze the stuff that, you know, we read from, from different writers and, and when it's in different genres and it, I could, I, I don't know that I could say it was Adam Hamdy. I just know that it was so unique. And I guess that's, that's your voice is your voice is, is to tell something in a new, in a new way and, and you know, a different type of story in a new way. And anyway, I, I, I'm rambling, but it was, it was a very fascinating thing after I read the book to kind of like evaluate where Adam Hamdy is in this book. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm the same. I try and study things and pull things apart and, you know, I enjoy the things that I read or watch, you know, uh, for screen. Um, but I always try and understand what makes them work, what doesn't work. How have they done that? How have they made me feel that? You know, what, how, you know, and kind of, and it's encouraging to hear that, you know, because I am trying to, um, particularly with this book, trying to sort of, I don't know, give readers a new experience, to give them a new perspective on things, um, and also kind of try and step back as the author. I don't need the reader to know who I am or what I think or, you know, if I'm smart, if I'm dumb, it doesn't like, I just want to <clears throat> let the book speak for itself. Um, so it's, it's encouraging to hear you say that. Yeah. Well, it, your description is almost like kids who can't wait to grow up. And then when we grow up, we would love to go back and be kids again. Like you're almost like trying to give it, give it away. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> Oh, if only that'd be fun. Right. We we're talking about opportunity imagine, costs yeah, about going back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> imagine going back with all the knowledge that you have. Uh, now. I imagine daily. <laughs> when my <laughs> knees worked. I'd be, a, I'd be a dangerous man. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it was dangerous then two people to so you yeah, know. You'd have to be, well, you'd be a dangerous kid to start off with. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, could, I, could, I could deal with that. I, I got to say, it's really difficult talking about the last quarter of your book without giving spoilers yeah. away. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, for me, it, the jaw-dropping moment felt like my reaction to the movie Sixth Sense. Right. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So when, I, when I'm hitting those last pages, and I had the same exact visceral experience that I had when I watched that movie, and then everything yeah. comes together. Um Maybe I've had a few expletives come out of my mouth both times too. And most reviews, well, not most, but I say a lot of reviews have had, have kind of referenced that same sort of reaction. So was that reaction a happy outcome or was that an intended result for you? No, that was an intended result. That, um, the scene that you're talking about was in the short story that I, that initially kicked this all off. And I wrote oh. a 6,000 word short story and it was that. It was that kind of sequence at the end of the novel. Wow. And it was in there. It was in there right from the beginning. And it was that exact, it was that kind of emotional kick that that made me think, actually, I need to explore this more. It needs to have more of a buildup. You need to see more of the implications and the yeah. ramifications and everything. And and so that was always there. That was the heart of it right from the beginning. And so I wrote that end first. Um, and that exists as a as a short story, I think a few of the character names are different, but um, hmm. you know everything that's in there is in is in the the book as it stands at the moment. Wow, fascinating! I mean, yeah, in the, in the special edition of the ten year anniversary or twenty year anniversary, where you should publish the short story. Yes, yeah, we want to see that. Yeah, 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 yeah. David Brown. Oh, I mean, I've got, right now. Yeah, I've got. A, <laughs> I've, got a, um, I've got a. I've got a. I've got a short story. I have a. Um, 25 page i think short movie script i wrote we we're going to try and make it as a short film then a feature script another feature script and as i said 60,000 50 60,000 word novel i'd written it out it was very police procedural it all uh. took place from it was all third person it all took place from harry's perspective okay it felt quite flat it didn't mm -hmm. give you that you know sort of magical mystery tour um, I'm glad it felt flat because otherwise we wouldn't have this. Yeah, this is far no, from yeah. a procedural. And, yeah. and I, I was somewhat being facetious, but not really about the 10 year anniversary. This, this is the kind of book to me that, that, um, that does have like, Oh, Hey, 10 years ago, this, you know, my book came out and, and it was, it's just, a, it's a very, very special book. And I, mm. 
No, oh, thank you. That's really kind of you to say. Yeah, I hope so. I hope people, you know, respond to it. And I, for me, I think it's a kind of book where you're going to get what you want out of it. It's that kind of book where this it's it's quite short, but there's so much in there that you're going to take from it what you need at that point in life. And it's interesting. I'm starting to get um, messages from people who are reading it for the second time. And it's just interesting seeing what they're saying about the fact that, you know, they know obviously what the kind of big twists are, yeah. but the emotional impact still stands. And in some ways it's heightened because they know what's coming. And so you start to see the significance and the book is actually full of um, secret messages, anagrams, codes, the poems have clues in them about things. I mean, there's just a lot in there that I think people will have fun pulling apart. Um so yeah, I hope it's around in yeah. ten years' time. I hope I'm around in ten years' time to <laughs> to enjoy that. <laughs> well, you know, to your point about people taking different things out of it or or different things hitting them, I, I just turned fifty two in May. Well, I guess it's not just; it's been a few months. I'm almost, you know, <laughs> You're almost fifty three now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no. <laughs> thoughts about mortality, legacy, um, meaning. Uh, bigger meanings, et cetera, et cetera, are becoming more prevalent and more frequent in my life. Um, and I know this story began with a question from your son, Elliot, as you mentioned earlier, but mm. had you been fixated on any of these questions, the, the, the big questions prior to that, and, and that that yeah. was kind of a straw that broke the camel's back to get you yeah, going? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I, um, I did, my first degree was in law, and then after I finished that, I did a philosophy degree. And that was purely because I wanted to see what, the great thinkers of our times, you know, throughout history had to say on different topics. You know, I wanted to see where the collective sum of human knowledge came um, to sort of rest on the nature of self, um, religion, faith, science, uh, and mortality, and how people conceptualize death through the ages. And philosophy seems a really good place to kind of get a general education that, um, you know, chronicles that human journey. And also my father passed away very suddenly when I was um, 28. And that kind of has hung in, you know, my mind for a, a long time. And so it is something that um, I'm conscious of. And, and maybe actually, and this is where the um, person that I was talking to a couple of weeks ago uh, was sort of saying it's made him more conscious of his of of actually the finite nature of life mm -hmm. you know we kind of we all behave as though we're immortal we yeah. go out and we you know i mean i used to ride one of the fastest motorbikes in the world never really thought about crashing or what would happen rock climb ski you know we go out and do crazy things and it's not that you don't want to take risks in life but actually you're kind of spending credits there's a there's a movie i don't know if you've seen it um in time with the uh, Justin Timberlake and oh, I can't remember who the, the actress is in it, but it's basically about the fact that you, you, there's no money anymore. You earn life, you earn years and minutes and days. Wow. And that's the, that's the currency. That's the trade. And you know, it's a, a Hollywood kind of riff on that idea, but it's, it's good. And so yeah. it's this idea that you, time is a finite commodity and how do you, spend it what do you do with your time and we don't i don't think as a species we think enough about that we give it away really freely we waste it we yeah you know so, so yeah I, I am quite conscious of of what we do and it's actually one of the reasons i wrote this book is because you know i i love writing thrillers and i love um you know entertaining people and keeping them on the edge of their seat and but i wanted to do something different i wanted to do something that would would kind of last and stay with people and so this in itself is an expression of this you know conception that we we are sort of fragile people and we don't last forever yeah well you can entertain right you can blow up things you can do you know shoot and run and all that sort of stuff but when you confront people with you know the meaning of things and the meaning in their life um the impact can be different for everybody. Some people might read this book and say, oh, wow, that was great. And some people might just break down and because it really impacted what they're already worried about or thinking about in their own lives. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, 
I mean, that's exactly it. And the reactions that I've had have been, you know, ranging from, oh, that's an interesting sort of procedural. Um, few people have said, oh, you know, it's quite a slow book to get going. And then most people have said, wow, my mind was blown. It made me cry. It, it changed the way I look at things. The number of people who've actually written to me and said, this book has changed me. Uh, okay, that, I mean that's really great. <laughs> Is that <laughs> a good thing? You for the better, right? I, I, hope it's, I hope it hasn't hulked you or Wolverine. Yeah. Or something, but, you know, but, um, but you know, it's uh, you know, I, like I said, I think people will take out of this book what they want and need at that particular point in time. There's space there for you to find the answers that you are looking for. It doesn't give you any answers. It just asks lots of questions. Yeah or just forces you to think about things that you've had thought about in the past, maybe in a different way. Yeah. Um, and, and like Sean was saying, this is very different uh, writing in terms of what would be kind of a purely definable genre that, you know, we've known you to write in the past. And, and this is your first book as kind of American debut. Not mm. a lot of us know you're writing and have read you before, but this is going to be a much wider audience being an American debut. Um, so my impression is this is truly a, a standalone novel. I mean, that was my impression of this. And so were you conscious of how a, a newer and a more expanded American market would discover you as an author and how they might define you as a specific type of author or writer? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a conversation that we've, uh, we've had um, uh, mainly with my agent, um, uh, and what we, what I originally did, and this is either brave or stupid. We originally went out. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid. We went out on submission. We went out on submission under a pseudonym. No. So we, yeah, we 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 went out under the David Asher pseudonym. So David Asher, for people who haven't read the book, is the character framing the book and is the missing father. And you don't know—is he a ghost? What's happened to him? Right. And and he frames the book with the opening um, preface, and um, and so we it was it was sent out as a genuine debut, written by David Asher, um, okay. and I thought it would be quite fun to yeah. see if it if it's. Um, you know, blur the line between fact and fiction, would people figure out, at what point would you figure out that actually this is a fictional book? Mm. Um, and so it really surprised me when we got the offers that the publishers didn't want to go with the pseudonym because I thought, well, I'm quite well known for writing high octane, you know, thoughtful, thought provoking, sure, but sure. high octane adrenaline junkie thrillers. Yeah. And I was really surprised when they said, let's put it out under your name. Um, because we could have picked any pseudonym. We could have used David Asher. We could have done, you know, anything else. I'm glad that they have, <laughs> that they've, you know, that they asked to use my real name um, because I feel like hopefully what will happen in time. So to begin with, you might think, oh, this is a bit weird. He's got kind of two different libraries, two different styles, but hopefully mm -hmm. what will happen in time is I'll add to this side of things yeah. and you'll kind of see across the spread that, you know, the main objective, first of all, is to entertain, to give you an experience, to give you some kind of ride, a thrill, whatever it is. Um, but actually, the other thing is to make you think, is to kind of like just put a lens on the world and say, oh, hold on, have you thought about this? Have you looked at this? You know, have a look through this lens and see what you think. Um, yeah. And so I'm hoping that it will all, looking back, kind of coalesce into a sane and sensible body of work. But yeah, at the because moment, you know, the, pu the push is like series, series, series. I mean, they want to know who you are and they want to buy this yeah. book. And so yeah. for me, it's really yeah. refreshing that you're going to have a ton of success with this as you have with your other books. And it's yeah, like Adam Handy is like the guy that says, it's okay to write different things. You know, it's, yeah. it's okay, you know, because it's more yeah. refreshing, I think, for authors that are not churning out the 25th version of you know, X and yeah. Y. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, no, go ahead, no, go ahead Sean. No, no, it's, no we're, we're here to hear, listen from you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, it was, it's a risk, you know, it's, will people accept it? Will, 
you know, will they come with you? Um, and what happens to new readers who then go back and read your other stuff? You know, what do they think of that? How does that fit in? You know, but like I say, I think over time it will all kind of make sense. And my um, my next book that I've just uh, finished is a standalone. Um, it's not quite as um, emotionally challenging as this one sort of from a structural and point of view perspective, but it is, it's a challenging and thought provoking read. Um, and it fits more with this kind of book. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I've got another one sort of plotted in outline. That's very much like the other side of night and is just going to, you know, explode minds again. Um, and is a real kind of tearjerker and, so, you know, I I hope that readers will kind of respond and that I'll be given the opportunity because at the end of the day, it's a business for publishers. If you right. don't if you don't hold up your end of the bargain yeah. and get readers and entertain readers and stuff, they're not going to keep yeah. giving you books. Right? But if you want lasting content that has an impact, I think you have to take those risks. Um, and I think you're going to be one of those people that like shows that it's okay it's okay to like it's a risk but you know at the same token it's like well i could write 20 books and it's like i made about a chunk of money but is it gonna be lasting and i think the i think the other side of night's gonna be one of those books that 10 years from now people are still gonna want to go out and read if they haven't read it already i i hope so that's very kind of you to say there's the alternate future which is when you guys rock up at the sheraton in five years time and you're walking past like this old hobo looking I'm guy. I'm not talking to any strangers like, anymore. Like, it's like, like, and he's, and he's going to, and he's going to be there and you go, Hey, you look familiar. Hey, are you, you look like Adam? What the hell happened to you? Too much. He's selling t-shirts on a beach somewhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and, you, know, you know, I hope, I hope your reality is what happens, but there is an alternate reality where the risk just doesn't pay off. <laughs> well, as you were talking, I, I was reminded way back in 95, um, I went to my first writer's conference and David Morrell was the keynote speaker. And at one of his breakout sessions, he was talking about being trapped by genre and how how he was at that time, he was planning a horror book, which he, he wrote. It, it, it was I wouldn't call it true horror, but it was it was definitely horror, had horror elements because he wanted to break out of genre. And, and if you look at from that point in time, he, he started to like write in a lot of, a lot of different, you know, he, he did some period pieces, period detective stuff that was really interesting. Um, he's been working on a Western and, and, and that's always kind of how that for me as a creator, that's how I looked at writing, how it should be. It's like, yeah, again, I love series as much as the next guy, but you shouldn't be bound if, if you are a talented storyteller to, to put you in a box and say, okay, this is where you must stay to me is, is really short circuiting some great stories that we would otherwise have from these talented wordsmiths, you know, and people who can, who can string a story together. So I, I'm always the business side and the art side are always, you know, there's always a tug of war there, but I, I really do hope that the more successes there are with the artistic sort of flourishes that then, you know, are successful on the business side the less constrained the business side will feel, you know, trying to put these boxes on these authors. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I really hope so. I really hope so. And not just for me, but for exactly the reason that you were talking about was that we're missing out on things. You know, if you say to someone, well, you can't do that because you're the thriller guy, or you can't do that because you're the romance guy or whatever it is. If you constrain people in that way, you are just robbing the world of potentially, you know, wonderful stories. And um, it never really occurred to me. I never, I, I, you know, got published and I never did enough analysis of the business, which is really stupid because that's what I used to do in my career was analyze. Uh -huh. That's why you left so, it, so I didn't have to Yeah, do exactly. That. So I was like, oh, traumatized. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, <clears throat> it is amazing that, you know, the moment you have a success of any kind, you are put in that box and they just want more of that. And yeah. you, you know, yeah. you have to get really big or take a real gamble, which is what I've done here <laughs> and say, you know, I want to do something different. I want to, I want to say something different and see. And it was really interesting. Somebody um, within the industry said to me, oh, you know, that's really cool. You can, you can write a different style. You know, you've shown it, you've demonstrated it now, you've given evidence. Like, well, I could always write it. I just yeah, never yeah, had yeah. the opportunity. And actually, I just want to believe it. 
yeah, I did this one off my own, off my own bat. And, and what's interesting, I'd love to do like a series of short films of authors living their daily life in the genre that they write, you know, like, like thriller authors, I'm going to go buy a cup of coffee, get in the car, you know, and, and romance authors, everything's amazing. Oh Look, my gosh, it's like, brilliant. You, right? That's you don't awesome. ever, That's you awesome. don't ever, like we're rounded people. There'll be times you'll be incredibly sad. You'll be incredibly thoughtful. You'll be philosophical. You'll be romantic. You'll be, we're rounded people. No one ever lives their genre. Expect, yeah. you know, you're kind of expected to write that genre and do that forever. <laughs> my gosh. That so, is, my mind's going to be in that, in that mode for a while. Now. Yeah. 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 It's gonna be a, a Nabum will produce it. Here you. comes five scripts this afternoon. Um, <laughs> by the way, if you, if you would come out as David Asham, would you be in profile with like a voice changer and as you answer the question? I've always, I, I kind of, it always makes me, I, I, there's an author that I know who writes as a pseudonym, but he's openly that pseudonym yeah. and everyone at festivals knows that it's him and he does events and he does podcasts and everything as him, but under the name of the pseudonym. And it's, and it's just all so confusing. It's he just like, pretends you know, like it's not really you, him. Yeah. Like it's all very weird. It's like, dude. <laughs> You just just let him write under his own name. Everyone knows now, so just let him write under his own name. Oh, yeah. Um, so what, it, yeah, so, yeah. I don't know what I would have done if they'd gone with David Ashton. <laughs> Hired an actor, maybe. Uh, you know. <laughs> that would yeah, be, be fun. Oh my gosh, that'd be great. So one quick question. The Other Side of Night, um, maybe it's not a quick question. The Other Side of Night is a book that will remain with readers um, and, and kind of infest their mind, I think. And I don't yeah. mean that in a negative way for a while. Um, but beyond the universal critical acclaim that we're seeing and beyond any tangible rewards of success, how has writing this particular story changed Adam Hamdy? Ooh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. It's had a lot of uh, impact on what... Um, so I think the biggest thing is probably um, losing my voice. It's like giving the book over to, so the next book that I've written is pretty much all told in the first person huh. by the central character. And so it's um, structurally quite simple, uh, but plotted, it's quite um, intricate. But it's that idea of losing your voice to give the reader a, a an all-consuming experience. I've learned to step back as the author, let the characters speak, let the characters have, and it's almost like, it's like that sort of um, primary secondary source thing that you get mm -hmm. taught in school about history. It's mm -hmm. always more powerful to read a newspaper account of something that was happening at the time. And you might get the reflection and perspective in the secondary source that looks at that later on, but that immediacy of what it was like to be in that world you get from those primary sources. Yeah. And so I've kind of thought, well, if you have the opportunity to use primary sources, <clears throat> direct voices from characters, um, you know, there's court, uh, court transcripts, as you say, um, letters, journal entries, all that sort of thing in, in this, this book. I think it, it gives you that richer experience because you're giving the characters the, the agency and the voice then and stepping back as the author. Um, the other thing, that I've learned, and it really is crucially important, and it ties in a bit with writing um, genre, is to have fun. Hmm. You know, part of being um, a creative is to test yourself, to experiment, to have fun. And even if it's within genre, it push yourself that little bit harder to try something different, to um, explore and experiment in a different way. And... Um, and at the end of the day, you start writing. All of us start writing because we love it. We feel we have to do it. There's some, yeah. you know, story we have to tell, some character we have to explore. There's something. It's not driven by money. It's not driven by market. A lot of the time, you're not even thinking about whether it's going to have readers. You know, you, you just yeah. have to tell this story. And so it's reconnecting with that fun side of things and um, uh, making sure you kind of never lose sight of that is another thing that I've I've really learned from yeah. from this book. Don't lose your childhood while you're being an adult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and storytellers need to have that sense of wonder, whether it's about the world or the characters or whatever it is. You need that sense of wonder. And, and it doesn't mean that everything's kind of doughy-eyed and it can be right. wonder within a within a thriller. I mean, you know, like Jack Carr's books really 
are, are, are wonderful at one level because they're just so well executed. You know, mm. they're, they they kind of <clears throat> propel you into this world with these characters. Um, and and so it is that, yeah, those are the kind of things that I've taken away from this. Well, thank you, philosopher. We appreciate that. <laughs> Let's bring it lowbrow now. Yeah. So you have uh, once again survived the uh, main portion, but here we go. Okay. <laughs> now that you've written this amazing book, we're going to try and ruin your career in six easy okay. steps. So <laughs> great. Let's go for it. All right. So I'm up. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, my first question is uh, cryopeptide. I never saw that in any of my medical literature. So I would like to know if you've uh, trademarked that or should I uh, jump out there and get that? <laughs> I think you should you should jump on the uh, yeah, the bandwagon. Yeah, I mean you know you're allowed some license with a book like this. So I mean obviously <laughs> peptides are a big thing. Oh sure, um, but cryopeptides. Yeah, it was uh, like that's cryo, my own, huh? My own, oh oh yeah, interesting. My own okay. little Listen, you want to you want to make something sound fancy. We're not going to talk about the context in which this appears, but if you want to make it sound fancy, cryo is a good word to stick in front of anything <laughs> like cryomachides. I'm going to have a cryomachides. Wow, that oh, sounds yeah? like pretty out of this world. Right, you know, cryo bourbons. Yes, that's there right. you go. Cryo bourbons. I mean, there's okay. a whole range of cryo products here that we can bring I'm to get my lawyers on this right away. Okay, <laughs> uh, and I'm sure you've thought of this, and I know I was thinking halfway through this book, what actress plays Harriet in the movie adaptation of this? Oh, that's a really uh, interesting question. I mean, I'm always a big fan of Emily Blunt. I, I love, I love Emily. Yeah, Blunt. I could see that. Uh, yeah, so I, I think she does kind of haunted, um, you know, kind of tough but vulnerable. Right, she right. Does it so well. So yeah, I could see that. Her her sister's a lit agent, I believe. Yes, yeah, and, Felicity Blunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. well, let's get on it, people. Let's get it on there. Let's do All it. All right. <laughs> Your people call cool my people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we'll your, just talk about things. Your people is you, Emily Blunt. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we're gonna we're gonna try to answer. So she has to be in one of the short films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Good idea. Have you have you ever seen Bowfinger? The Steve oh, yeah. Martin, yeah, 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 Eddie yeah, Murphy yeah, film. Yeah, 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 we're just gonna have phone calls with the with the cord yeah. cut, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So we talked about this, uh, and readers are gonna ponder the question: What would you give, right, in the other side of night? You're you're maybe your less sophisticated American audience that you're going to be collecting now would like to know what would Adam Handy do for a Klondike bar? <laughs> what do you want me to do for your Klondike bar? You know, like well, that's what, an open what, question. What I'm not sure we want that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Asking the wrong guy, please don't ask. I, me I mean, <laughs> I think, uh, uh, I would climb any mountain for a Klondike. Bar. All right. All right. Awesome. Climb every mountain. Here comes I like that. mountain climbing. Sound the so. music tie-in. Yeah. Climb every yeah. mountain. <laughs> <Here it comes. laughs> okay, so a lot of energy from our last lightning round was devoted to peculiar British foods or pecu a peculiar <laughs> British Well-known. So now that... Now oh, that, no. No, we're going to put that in the past. Not the spotted <laughs> dick. No, no, it's in, that's in the past. I, I didn't even I didn't even mention it by name. We're a more sophisticated show now. Now, now that you and your family... This is a more sophisticated book. I'm supposed to be highbrow. Exactly. That's, that's right. That's why, Maybe that's the why dainty I didn't little finger it. as I drink the tea. Yeah, that's why I said peculiar foods. I did not use it by name. Okay. So right. now, that we, now that you and your family are settled on Mauritius, yeah. what strange yeah. food is the spotted dick of the island? <laughs> He had to go blue. <laughs> yeah. I, oh I my god. Um, he 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 mentioned it first. So. Yeah, spotted dick of the island. We, uh, there's nothing that's sort of comparable. I don't think that I've encountered yet. There's uh, ferrato, which are kind of rolled vegan uh, curry breads. There's a uh, mean frit, which is a sort of chop suey noodles. Um, yeah, there's nothing. Uh, oh, hold on. Mm, there are these crusty balls. <laughs> All right. See, we that's have it, folks. A Thanks for doing oh. the good reviews. <laughs> have a winner. They're 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 their proper name is Puri. They're they're um they're these. Oh God, <laughs> they are crusty balls. Yes. And when you go and ask for them from the stand, they crack them, <laughs> and crack then they the fill them. 
They yeah, they fill them with soft fillings. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. We have a winner. Okay, I'm I'm not even going to comment. I'm just going to let let no. the audience. I have so okay, many thoughts right now. Yes. now. That's okay. Now now I'm I'll steer you away from that. Yeah. So what besides certain people do you miss from the UK? Uh, I miss the countryside. Um, I love walking in the you know countryside in Shropshire, the Roaches, the Peak District. Um, the rock climbing there was brilliant. Uh, um, there are some uh, foods that you can't readily get over here, restaurants, um, but most most stuff's available here actually because it's a big tourist destination. So they mm -hmm. cater for a kind of global clientele. Um, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of things I don't miss, um, but the, yeah. you know, that's probably that's probably a, 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 you know, it, apart from obviously people, friends, family, um, yeah. colleagues. You know, I haven't seen uh, a lot of the writers that I would bump into on the circuit for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> you know, only one has so far come out here uh, to visit. So you know, that's that's uh, that's kind of a, a loss. But yeah, uh, uh, apart from that there's so much here it's such a lovely place it's it's hard to kind of uh compare the two well it's, yeah. a, it's such an interesting geographical intersection because you have europe africa and asia are all relatively you know close to, probably one of the few places that are that close together it is to me the easiest way to describe it is moss isley cantina it's that kind of <laughs> nexus yeah everyone gets that right so it's new orleans is a country or is it yeah. yeah it's the whole it's 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 60 miles north to south, and at its widest point, it's about 40 miles across. Huh. And you have a diversity of climates here you would not believe. So you'll be on the beach, um, you know, in tropical heat, swimming in the ocean, and up in the mountains, it's like being in Scotland. It's chilly, it's raining, it's, you know, mm. it feels like a temperate um, zone. Uh, the people are a mix of sort of Indian heritage, African uh french english i mean it is just such a mix the official language is english everyone speaks french or creole um wow. it's like every religion is represented and it all just seems to work it's a real that's, you know awesome. kind of melting pot of cultures and religions and it just it seems to it seems to function well when you don't pit you know different groups of people against each other for you know yep. for you know various reasons it works yeah yeah, we get along. We're all human, right? Yeah. I, I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm breaking some rule by actually asking a legitimate question to this point. But, um, <laughs> but what was the most? So one of the books that you you cite is um, "Your Brain Is a Time Machine." Um, what was the most mind blowing insight that you got from reading that book? If you that remember. book is um, full of mind blowing insights. Uh, it's a book by uh, Dean Buonamano, who is just an amazing uh, scientist. And just from cover to cover, that book is just full of insights that will blow your mind. So I'll give you an example. There is a um, delay built into keyboards um, for computer keyboards. Mm -hmm. There's a small, small delay built into them. Because if that delay didn't exist, it would look as though you had the letter had appeared before you typed it. Because oh, each of the processing each, speed, just perception. The processing speed of your brain, right? There's a slight delay in how you see things and how you hear things and how fast your processor works. And everyone's slightly different. So there are athletes right. who, who can register events happening faster than the disqualification time for the Olympic starting, right? Right. So, that must be really difficult because you know something has happened, but you also know you'll be disqualified if you react to that thing happening at your natural reaction speed. So you have to kind of guess at a delay. But anyway, with the keyboard, if this delay wasn't put in, you would see the letter before you perceived yourself typing it. So there's there's a there's an that experiment. Would freak me out. <laughs> There's an experiment that Dean talks about where he goes to somebody who has has taken the delay off the keyboard. And he says it's the weirdest thing ever that you see the letter appear before you type it. So you wow. you, you think it's predicted what you've done. It's like a ghost. It. It's like it's just the wow. book is full of mind blowing stuff like that. It's well worth uh, a Gosh, read. I, I wish I had one of those keyboards to swap out as a practical joke with people. <laughs> Wouldn't it be so easy, right? It's like, uh -huh. oh, this book's writing itself. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's funny. 
That's well, Adam, congratulations. Th- this was a mind-blowing uh, adventure, and it does. Like all the people who have said, you know, the reviewers and have said, this sticks with you long after you shut the cover because I think it has different meaning for different people for the same reasons. Um, and I, everybody that reads this is going to have some sort of visceral reaction and not just like the, oh, this was an enjoyable read. I, I liked it. It's going to have much more impact than that. And so congratulations on this. This is this was really a, a wonderful book. Here, here. And, and what I will say is that it is the book that engaged me most emotionally and intellectually at the same time in recent memory. I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember being this engaged emotionally and intellectually in a book in a, in a very long time. And it's just a, it's a triumph, man. It's great. Yeah, it really is. Thank you very much guys, Mike and Sean. That's really <clears throat> very lovely to hear. You know, that's the best kind of response I could hope for as an author. So it's really kind of you to say that. And it's been great talking to you guys both yeah. again. Thank you for having me back. You know, well, good um, to see that philosophy class has actually paid off this time. <laughs> <laughs> What will you do with that? Uh, what kind of degree? You know, what? For, you know, for all of the highbrow stuff we've talked about, I know you're just going to cut a clip with me saying crusty balls, and that's going to be the <laughs> no. like, trailer. Oh, see, you know, well, now I have to, to choose between Andy that one and the one previously. No, no, but, oh my gosh, that, that was he knows so his audience. That was so funny to, to watch the realization come across your your face. That oh my gosh, there is. There is the perfect equivalent of it. And do I want to and the moral it? dilemma of actually admitting it? But I tell you, I, I hope this sells. I, I hope this sells millions of copies because it. it, oh. it I'm going to be recommending it for a long, long time. And, uh, yeah. and well, congratulations you. again, my friend. Yeah. That's very kind of you. No, it's thank great you. seeing thank you, pal. Really kind. Of you. Oh, lovely to see you too. Thank All you right. so much. Cheers. Take care. Go, shiny boy. We had Adam Hamdi. And the other side of night on the show today, and as we expressed for the past hour or whatever, holy crap, people. It, you, anybody who claims that they saw this coming is a complete, absolute liar. And I call you out and call BS right off the get-go. This is an emotional response book that uh, has some deep meaning, but it's entertaining. It's not like some sort of you know book that you got to read in philosophy class. So for me, this was... Uh, this is probably one of the more important uh, books written this year in the genre that for me is, you know, is, you know, it definitely in my wheelhouse in terms of readership. So congratulations, Adam, on that. 100%. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Chris can't be here. He's off jet setting as he always does because, you know, he lives the high life. He does. And uh, thanks for watching, folks. And uh, see us next time on the Crew Reviews. And it's a one, two, and Audi. Mm, there are these crusty balls. <laughs> All right. See, we that's have it, folks. Thanks for doing the good reviews. <laughs>